Hi friends, welcome to Reading Minds where ordinary people talk about extraordinary books. It's time for our October book club. This month, Shannon and Susie are with me again and we read Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Enjoy. Happy Halloween! <laughs> Happy um, Halloween! Yeah. So before we get into our scary story, um, let's take a step back to To Kill a Mockingbird because it just won the Great American Read. Woo! That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I I did vote for that one. I did. I thought too. that it deserved it deserved it. Yeah, I'm actually really happy with that. Because um, I think it's really cool that even though there was, like, a lot of books in this Great American Read, which basically, like, America's most loved books, 100 of them, um, yeah. a lot of them were not necessarily American authors. The one that still won as the most loved book was an American author, and I thought that yeah. was really cool. And, and it's that's why I awesome. picked that one. <laughs> I think it's a cool yeah. commentary on specifically America. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah. It reflects us. America. As, like, a, as a culture. It like I love it because they kind of said it really cool in the um, show. If you, if any of you have seen it or whatever, but they talked about how it reflects us as a culture in like the good, the bad, and the ugly. But it's like, yeah, it's really cool. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. This is a plug. Go read it. Yeah, I mean, not that we didn't plug it for a whole episode. <laughs> Listen to our episode again. We will plug it. <laughs> um. So yeah, that was super cool. Um. Woo-hoo. So now it's Halloween. Um, and we read Frankenstein, which is a classic gothic horror this novel. This is um, the 200th anniversary of Frankenstein! Yeah. Woo! Yeah, that's really cool. So, we're reading it at a good time. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, Halloween. Good timing. Halloween. Did you, like, grow up doing anything fun for Halloween? Because I wasn't allowed to trick-or-treat or anything like that. Well, we handed out candy sometimes, which was sad because oh. I wanted to keep the candy. <laughs> you didn't ever get, you never got to keep the candy? We got to ever? keep, like, whatever was left over. And sometimes mm. there was some. Man, I would hide the candy sometimes. Like, as you walk by the bowl, I'd, like, take the ones that I like the best and be like, this is my candy now. <laughs> <laughs> Susie, tell me, Susie, tell me about like what um, Halloween so looked like Halloween in your family. Was more of like a celebration of all things fall, featuring this great day where we get candy. And every year, the weekend before Halloween, because a lot of times, like this year, it falls on a Wednesday. Um, we would do a Halloween parade in my neighborhood, and that was always really fun. Like the bands would come out, and we would get caught like prizes for costumes, and I won one year. Super proud. And then on Halloween day, we were allowed to go trick-or-treat, and after Halloween, my siblings and I would always do this giant, like, barter system, where we would dump out all of our candy, and I don't like Reese's, I hate them, which is like a golden bartering chip for my family, yeah. There are lots of people's favorite, which is why I got all the candy I loved and gave away all my Reese's, we had this, like, giant candy swap. That my family, my parents always thought was really funny. Because we'd be like a stock of like, two Reese's, two Reese's. 
Yeah, so it was really fun. Mm-hmm. Shannon, what was Halloween like? That's fun. Um, for your family. For me. Um, so my family, we kind of did something similar, you know, it was, we always would dress up as something. We did have strict rules that, that we weren't allowed to dress up as anything scary though. Um, I think that was my parents' just intention of like trying maybe like one when I was younger not to get nightmares, but also <laughs> two probably just to like make sure I wasn't dwelling on that too much. I don't know. Um, my family was fairly conservative growing up. I mean, they yeah. still are. But I mean, you can probably tell that you can probably tell that all of our families were yep. fairly conservative. If none of us really, went yeah, all into... they're pretty conservative. Yeah, that's kind of how it was growing up for me. So I would always go dressed up, you know, like as like something in real life, you know, like a pumpkin or I went as crayons one year with friends. Um, I was an iPod one year. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, I don't, I, so yeah, we would do that. And then when I got back, typically with my sisters, we would kind of do the same thing Susie just said that we would, um, put all of our candy on the floor and then I would always actually sort out all the almond joys and give those to my parents because they were like old people candy and I didn't like it. I'm an old person. Um, those are my favorite. <laughs> no, mounds are my Susie, favorite. Susie's an old person. I am. <laughs> so... Um, but yeah, we would always do that and then, you know, do the whole like tradesies, like what do you want kind of thing. And, and I loved going in my neighborhood growing up because people would always give like full size candy bars. And one time a guy ran out of candy bars and started giving us money and that was awesome. (laughs) There was, so there was always this like wealthier neighborhood within walking distance of my neighborhood. So we would always go to the villages, like always. you did? That's a generic That's name. hilarious. To get the good candy. Yeah. Okay. I think. I think. So let's talk let's about the book wrap now. up yeah. our Halloween discussion there. So this month, Susie picked our book. So would you like to mm-hmm. take over? Sure. Susie. <laughs> so this month, um, we wanted to do something more like Halloween kind of themed because it is October. Yeah. Something and festive. Yeah. And we're actually uh, recording this a couple of days before Halloween. So, you know. We're in the mood. I have a pumpkin carved outside featuring Harry Potter. And so Frankenstein, um, this is his 200th year anniversary, has been a long-lasting book about, um, it's like a horror film. And horror film, sorry, horror book. Turned into many films. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was written by Mary Shelley um, when she was very young, um, only around 18, and it came across because, you know, Lord Byer and their neighbor was like, let's just create, you know, horror stories. And they're like, okay, as all authors. And they did it. And it became to this. So she originally created a shorter story. And then she expanded it at the urging of her husband. Um, so while we talk about Frankenstein, of course, we have to get into our Frankenstein moods. We must talk about our drinks. <laughs> Annie, what are you... What are you drinking today? So, man, our drinks are kind of falling apart today, but I decided that I was going to try to make a Bloody Mary, but, so this is like, this is like the poor man's version of Bloody Mary and without any alcohol, so it's, it's literally just a V8. (laughs) (laughs) I did pour like a little bit of like Cholula sauce in there because they were out of the spicy ones, so I had to buy the normal V8. And I want some spice. And then I put some garlic powder in it. It's actually pretty good. 
Nice. I did something sort of creative, but it's it's just a V8. That's all I did. That's more creative than mine. Mine is mint medley tea. Because <laughs> Why did you... T- mint? Oh, because the world thinks Frankenstein is green. And mm-hmm. so my tea is green. <laughs> and Mary Shelley is, you know, English. So I'm drinking mm-hmm. green tea. Mm. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Mary Shelley is green. <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought that too. It's like, oh, it's like, I did not know this. Oh, man. Uh, maybe in the ground. Anyway, um, so, um, so my drink, so I, we have like this local little coffee shop in Springfield, which is where I live, called Scout's Cafe. It's funny enough, it's named after To Kill a Mockingbird Scout, hmm. but, um, I was like, I went there and I was like, do you guys have any matcha? And they said, no, sorry. We only do coffee, and I was like, well, I mean, they do loose leaf, but whatever. So I was like, ah, okay, I'm trying to find something spooky to drink, because we're talking about Frankenstein today with my friends, and so we figured out, because I was like, is there anything Swiss-inspired? We figured out that they use Ghirardelli uh, chocolate for their mochas, and Ghirardelli, I thought, was always an American company, but I guess they're just an American branch of Linden Chocolate, which is a Swiss company. So anywho, Swiss chocolate. So I had a mocha, and then I had them put mint in it because the same reasoning behind, like, the green. Everyone thinks Frankenstein's this green guy with the bolts in his heads and whatever. And, yeah, so that's why I'm drinking a mint mocha. So it's actually nice. really good. So We did we did well for what we could, mm-hmm. I think. We did. It was hard to find a drink specifically for Frankenstein because, well, maybe, like, when we because, did yeah. – uh, the Agatha Christie book, it was like, he loves hot chocolate. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. There's never, like, I was looking for it when I was reading. There's never a moment that was like, ooh, a drink. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> maybe we all have different spooky kind because, of, like, Annie's could be, like, representative of blood. Not actually. Yeah. But it's red, Bloody. so. Ooh. Ooh. And Mary. Like, Mary yep. Shelley. So. Yep. I think Annie we did it. <laughs> and Shannon did a better job than me, but uh, mint tea can be spooky. Mint tea. Ooh. Said <laughs> so no one ever. Ooh. So, speaking of spooky, though, were you guys scared when reading Frankenstein? No. No. I wasn't at all. So I wasn't scared at all. I don't know if you guys, there's this shout out to another podcast called Fictional. And it has... Love fictional. Yeah, I love it too. It has um, two episodes. Maybe just one, but on Frankenstein. I listened to those. Mm-hmm. I listened to them before I read the book um, because I was cleaning my room. And you know, one must listen to a podcast. And I was genuinely scared listening to the fictional one because I was like, oh my gosh, he kills all these people and he just appears places. And yeah. Like, this is horrifying. I think it's... It's the guy's voice, though. He just, it's so good. And then when I was reading the book, I was never scared, even though the monster does, like, truly terrible threats throughout the book and does truly horrifying things. Um, So, I don't know. I was just, I was interested by that. Yeah, I think because it had so much philosophical conversation so you're mm-hmm. more wrestling with like big ideas instead of having these little like jump scares mm-hmm. yeah. so I think that yeah played a big part of why I wasn't scared yeah 
Yeah, because I feel like maybe it's because I'm more desensitized because I'm used to watching, you know, and reading like thrillers of the modern era, and they are truly like very much so suspense books. Mm -hmm. And so I think to go from like a suspense oriented genre mm -hmm. to just like a horror genre that's not really as much about the suspense, it's just, it's not as spine chilling, it's not as scary. That being said, I'm sure for the time period it was written in, it probably was really scary. Yeah. There probably wasn't, like, a ton of literature. I mean, maybe, yeah. I don't know. That was like that. So maybe, maybe that was their horror back then. Maybe that was terrifying. Yeah, maybe. While well, we're just talking about our overall impressions of the books, do you guys want to do our sentences? Yeah. Sure. So my sentence um, was Frankenstein au contraire. Frankenstein's monster, an erratic <laughs> beast, or an eloquent <laughs> being drowning in his own internal moral conflict. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> to find the answer, one must read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Ooh, that's that has good. more suspense wow. than the whole book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that was good. Um, I worked on that. Yeah, I can tell. That's like Man, that's really well written. Mine's... So my mine is one man's ambition for scientific discovery quickly turns to his ruin as he sees the result of his work turn against him. That's good. That yeah. was good. Mm. Good job, Shannon. <laughs> okay, mine is while Frankenstein and his monster wrestle with their existences, they each demonstrate their own forms of monstrosity. Ooh. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I like Thanks. how mine focused on the monster more, yours focused on Victor Frankenstein more, and yours mm -hmm. did both. There's so much going on in this book mm -hmm. um, that, oh my goodness. And it's like funny because I feel like there's a lot of stuff that has a lot of modern connotations to it, mm -hmm. which yes. I'm sure we'll get to, that mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, like this is so true for today too. Mm -hmm. People should, you know, see this and like, try to learn from yeah. Frankenstein's mistakes. Did reading Frankenstein make you, like, rethink, I guess, like, how you treat people? Or just how when you're walking through it? Because I feel like Frankenstein's monster. Like, while he was, like, this monstrosity that was built, he, there's that one scene where he saved a little girl from the mm -hmm. river. Yeah. And he was like, I'm just trying to save this person. And then he got shot. And mm -hmm. there, I feel like that literally was one of, like, the big changing points if Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because... That's when he decided that he was just going to be the monster. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. he was like, you know, like, I show love, but all I get is... I'm trying to find it. The part. Um, You're actually tapping into one of the themes I planned. Ha ha ha. Yeah. So this says, like, inflamed by pain, I vowed eternal hatred and vengeance to all mankind. Mm -hmm. It's, like, the turning point, I feel like, yeah. right after he got shot. Um, and it really was, like, oh, like there's a lot that goes into Frankenstein's monster psyche. A lot. Mm -hmm. But I feel like a lot of the change that happened to him was because of how he was treated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's yeah. one of the big questions that the book asks. It's, do your circumstances determine who you are, or are you born with, you know, the... Um, the ability to do evil or to be a monster. So that's like one mm -hmm. of the big, the big themes. So, mm -hmm. 
That's like something that I wrestled with too because like so I, my themes are kind of related to that. I saw like the theme of, you know, an eye for an eye. Mm-hmm. Oh it yeah. It was like he felt like, yeah. you know, like he had been wronged by the world. He'd been wronged by all these different people because they're like misjudging him. And so he felt like the justice and uh, whatnot to do the same to them. Yeah. Like how he felt yeah, wronged. Yeah, he very much yeah. took justice into his own hands. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like to me, like I saw that as like, wow, like um, – that's such a clear theme in this book of, you know, look how much revenge and just trying to harm one another just ends up being, you know, the destruction yeah. of both people yeah. involved. And, like, there was no room for mercy <coughs> between either Frankenstein or the monster. So the monster mm-hmm. had, like, all I of know. this vengeance that he was trying to accomplish. And then Frankenstein just, he abandoned his creation <laughs> and just, yeah. like, didn't give him the time of day just because of yeah. how horrible... Yeah he appeared to be so mm-hmm. it was both sides too like there's so many layers yeah. to the story yeah so many because there's also the layer of just like misuse of knowledge where we're just jumping right in we're like you know <laughs> frankenstein victor frankenstein um the creator of the creature um just was fascinated yeah with like the human anatomy and you know like recreating life and he went through this whole process which is linked pretty accurately depicted actually in the movies where like he's sticking mm-hmm. up bodies and like yeah trying to piece together this monster and then when he actually accomplishes it he like immediately regrets it yeah immediately there was so much about victor frankenstein that just bothered me a lot yeah like the fact that he just creates his monster and then just ignores him for like a year like a really oh, yeah. long time That was the scariest part of the book for me, because you never knew, where is the monster? Is he outside? Is he close by? Uh, I don't know how... I feel like... um, I don't know how he slept at night. No. like, he didn't know where the monster is. Because the monster was in his room that night. He, like, snuck into the room. Yeah. Do you remember? That was scary. Yeah. That part was scary. I will give it that. There were some scary moments. There was that one part. I think one of the most scary moments for me was when he just appeared. And he's like, follow me. I'm going to tell oh, you a story. Yeah. Like, literally, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, come to my hut. In the mountains. And then he gives this, and then he gives this, I think it's a spine-chilling threat. But the monster is so eloquent. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> I know. I literally was reading this, and I'm like, this is beautiful. But it literally, the like, quote is like, have a care. I will work at your destruction, nor finish until I desolate your heart, so that you shall curse the hour of your birth. But the have a care part, I was like, ooh. And I was like, wait. I will have a care. (laughs) I will have a care, yeah. You know, he's Mm -hmm. just caring for himself, not the creature he created. Yes, Annie? Can I say something about that? That was also really, like, annoying to me. When Frankenstein's monster threatens to, like, he said, I will be with you on your wedding night when he refused to create, you know, a bride for the monster. I automatically was like, oh, he's going to kill the bride. Me too. Yeah. Frankenstein. Oh my gosh. But Frankenstein was like, oh, he wants to kill me. And then yeah. the rest of the book was him trying to protect himself. Yeah. That I'm really like, bothered what me. an idiot. I'm like, come on. He's killed everyone yeah. you love. <laughs> yeah. Do you really think he's going to kill you? You really when, think you're that special? <laughs> when he 
when he left the like cabin to go like see the sound, I was like, dude, like she's gonna die right then and there. Like I knew immediately he was gonna kill her bride. It was well, it was like those points in movies when you're like, see the girl and she's like walking downstairs and you're like, don't go downstairs, yeah. and then she goes downstairs yeah. and you're like, don't open the closet. <laughs> she opens the closet, she dies. Right? Ah! So I was thinking during that whole scene and m- most of the deaths actually that this would be. I've never actually seen a Frankenstein movie. I've just seen clips or like the I have seen presentation. The Young Frankenstein, which is hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> I have seen that, but I think that if there was like a modern. Uh, even with the same like old English words, if there's just a modern like film that had like the pictures just and the scene as it was described, it'd be terrifying. Mm-hmm. But like yeah. with it oh, yeah. just I, in I the book, I was like, oh my gosh! Like I still was like, I wasn't like scared. I think if it was a movie, now seeing it and seeing this play out, I'd be like, ah, yeah. like the whole time. Yeah, I think there's a big difference yeah. when you can't, like, skim ahead and see sort of what's coming, and you're not narrating it in your own voice. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. Exactly. I get that. Actually, it's, when you say narrating in your own voice, I, funny enough, was not narrating Frank, or, sorry, the monster in my own voice. I heard him sounding a lot like Treebeard from Lord of the Rings. No, because you really wonder what he sounds like, because... Well, they said he didn't sound like a human. He had, like, a rough, coarse voice. So I was yeah. like, tree bear, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because it's like, if you really think about, like, how would you dig up a body and then, like, make them just, like, take a bunch of different parts, which I don't know why you wouldn't just use the same body. But anyway, like, take a bunch of different parts and try to, like, make them do their thing and, like, work together and all the nerves and muscles to sync together to, to fire and, like, allow you to move, allow you to think, whatever. I mean, it's a pretty impressive feat, but I kind of wonder, you know, wouldn't there be, like, decaying flesh falling Gross. off of you? I mean, <laughs> without skin, you're not going to live. I'm just going to say that now. You're not going to live without skin. And presumably, this guy probably didn't have skin because, I mean, they're decaying bodies, and the skin is, like, the first thing to go. So, I don't know. I'm just like, meh. This would never have worked because this dead body is like mm-hmm. yeah. <sighs> this isn't supposed to be a believable story. Well, I don't think Mary Shelley was trying to make an anatomically, scientifically correct monster with the properties of physics. Yeah. She was trying to create. She was just in trying to instill like fear into the readers. Yeah, and I I get that, and I have to. I really have to like take everything I know to be true and like just basically toss it out the window in order to like read this book and not have any issues with it but yeah that was just like something that I'm like but this wouldn't work because this because this because this how would they be able to talk because this because this so it's just it's a lot of things but yeah because I feel like what's scarier about Frankenstein's monster is not even his appearance it's like the evolution of his emotions and like how he decides to live yeah it's because the focus isn't so much on like the physical aspects of Frankenstein, but on the nature yeah. of who he it's is. Just, yeah, it's it's not about that. <laughs> so I had to, like, really try to, like, shut my brain off when reading this book so that I wasn't, like, just criticizing it based on that. He was reanimated. Who knows what that means? And the fact that he had, like, superhuman speed. So not only was he a dead, decaying body that was able to, like, eloquently talk and think and all the stuff that goes along with that, he was able to basically be, like, a superhower, superhero with superpowers. Like... He would, like, run really, really fast and, like, be able to, like, survive in really horrible conditions. 
Yeah. I know, but it's just, like, so interesting. Yeah, apparently, if you come back to life, tell all those people, you know, who, like, got ba- brought back to life after going into cardiac arrest. Like, you know, superpowers. <laughs> oh, man. Superpowers. <laughs> I, I don't I understand how he found his way to Geneva, though, before Frankenstein did. That bothered me. Especially that... since he didn't speak the language of everyone else, because the people that he had been focused on, like, learning from, they didn't speak the language that everyone else around them did, so. Yeah. So, we spent a lot of time hating on the characters in the book, but what did you guys <laughs> like about it? Like, what did you guys like or learn about Frankenstein? So, Frankenstein's monster, etc. cetera. I, I feel like we weren't really meant... I, like, maybe we were supposed to, I think maybe we were meant to have some love for the monster because, like, wow, he's put in this horrible position. He has no one who loves him. Mm-hmm. He can, he's basically shunned from society. He's never gonna ever fit in anywhere. And that's, like, really sad to have no community, which is, like, what humans desire, right, is to be in community. Yeah. Um, <coughs> but it was, I feel like at the same time, like, we were kind of meant to hate Frankenstein. Like, we weren't meant to really like him. I think we were meant to hate both Frankenstein and the monster. And the monster, yeah. 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 So it's like it's kind of like... I think so, too. I mean, there are characters I like, for sure. Like, I mean, I have no qualms with Elizabeth. I have no issues with his family. Um, mm-hmm. Or, like, Henry. Or Justine. Uh, that poor, or just, poor yeah. Justine. Um, I know. So I have no issues with those characters, specifically. But I think for the main two characters, I feel like... We're not really supposed to like stuff about them necessarily. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I I think it's pretty clear that we're not supposed to like both of them too because like when Victor Frankenstein gets picked up by Walton, mm-hmm. the oh, Walton. Um, explorer. So like it seemed by the end of the book and after hearing the whole story, you know, Walton was like faced with that choice of like endangering all of his crew and like continuing or just like if you have the chance, like turning around. And he, I think, maybe have, like, learned from Victor's uh, endeavors of knowledge about how wrong it can go sometimes. Like, that, you know, Mary Shelley kind of was like, see, like, this is what can happen with, like, I think they're both portrayed as monsters in certain aspects of the book. definitely. Who do you think's worse? Because everyone's always like, who's the real monster, Frankenstein (laughs) or Frankenstein's monster? I mean, I would say the monster. Yeah, I would say so too. Because, like, that whole question we were talking about earlier about is it your circumstances or your nature? I think that anybody can go through horrible circumstances that doesn't have to turn you into a monster. You don't have to start killing people willy-nilly. Even though, like, you can see the evolution of his thought process. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, like, the question of, like, whether we're born with, like, a a tabula rasa or like a blank slate and I think Mary Shelley was trying to say yes but that's something that I disagree with too so I think like there's what Mary Shelley's trying to say and then there's whether or not I agree with what she's saying so I do think she's trying to say that Victor might be worse because he is the one who created the monster yeah but I think I disagree yeah. <laughs> I feel like... I, feel I like think I would disagree, too. Yeah. I feel like... Um, I was going to say, I feel like it's almost equal for me. Because on one hand, you have the monster who clearly, like... To me, I have the hardest time with that because it's... You know, you, you'd think that, oh, Vic, Victor Frankenstein's worse for even making this monster, you know? 
make trying to reanimate humanity, which is like something that, you know, mora- morally I think is wrong. Like mm-hmm, you should mm-hmm. let the dead stay dead. It's not something that you should mess with. Um, and that's something that I was saying, and I'll come back to what I was going to say, but that's something that I was like thinking about earlier when I was saying, you know, like this has a lot that speaks to our current culture of trying, like how far can we go? Like, I mean, you know, I love science, but like sometimes mm-hmm. I think it can be taken too far. Mm-hmm. And yeah. in this case, it obviously has been taken too far in this book. And so to me, that shows a lot to the future. Like, this is mm-hmm. a message of don't let stuff like this happen. Like, don't let our desire and thirst for scientific discovery and like to do what no one thought possible, let us come to something like this. Yeah. Um, because it's it, kind you know, of a cautionary tale that yeah, you're right does yeah. have huge I mean, um, think about yeah, application to today. today. Like, yeah. And there's a very good quote from the book that talks about that. Um, and it says, how dangerous is the acquirement of knowledge and how much happier that man is who believes his native town to be the world than he who aspires to become greater than his nature will allow. So it definitely talks a lot about the danger of knowledge just for knowledge's sake and for, yeah, you know, creating things that we really don't, we really shouldn't be trying to get involved in and stuff like that. So that is something that's definitely like important to the story. Yeah. And so, so that's what, like, my argument for, like, thinking that Victor Frankenstein is just as bad as the monster, because, like, the monster did do horrendous, like, killing someone is never okay. Ever, ever, ever. But the fact that he was, like, messing with something that should not have been messed with, it's like the laws of nature being, like, defiled. It's just, like, you don't do that. Like, that's morally, like, should not be happening. Yeah. And so it's, like, on two hands, like, they're both kind of like I don't know in my opinion a little equal because then you have then you have you know the monster who's kind of killing Mm -hmm. people just to get back at Frankenstein um yeah because of making him who he is and it to me it's like no but even though you have been tormented and like not treated fairly does that mean then that you are justified to do what you did no it doesn't the killing is never justified in my book yeah, so, I think that's definitely what yeah. Mary Shelley is trying to say. Like, that both yeah. sides have problems. Mm-hmm. I think she did a very good job, like, with creating mm-hmm. characters that yeah. are so horrible. But also yeah. understandable mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. I think she's a good... I think she's a good writer, honestly. And I'm just very impressed mm-hmm. by her writing style at such a young age. Like, I remember what I was writing, like, when I was a senior in high school, which is really what she would be in our day and age and just her use of like vocabulary how she describes things one thing I really liked is how she described nature Mm -hmm. and how she used nature within this book yeah um because I think we all have been in that kind of situation where it's like if you go on vacation or you go and see like these beautiful mountains like um Victor goes to see or you see the ocean or like stars you just are like your spirits are lifted um, and I just really like how she described that and used that mm-hmm. um, kind of for the monster. When the monster was really depressed, when it turned to spring, he was, like, happier. And then when, like, Victor Frankenstein was so yeah. miserable, which, you know, rightfully so, having everything threatened and that kind of stuff, he, like, went to, like, the mountains to, like, lift his spirits, <laughs> like, that kind of thing. I just really liked how she described it. Yeah. Oh, man, and that's, like, something that I wish would have been, like, enough for the monster is instead of going on this vindictive, like, 
plight mm -hmm. to try to destroy his enemy and his enemy's family and friends, he could have just been in nature. I mean, I don't know, because nature really had this effect on him where he was just, like, overjoyed by it. And he, like, loved looking at the mountains mm -hmm. and, like, the trees in the summer and the spring. So, like, he really liked it a lot and, like, found profound meaning from it. Like, he could have lived his life. You know what? He could have risen above a station and done what Frankenstein did and made a dead woman into his partner. He could have done it himself if he had just educated himself and, like, stolen books or yeah. something. Well, he could have done it. What you see is that Frankenstein's creature saw a solution in his head. He did see a solution. Yeah. He saw that he could never be a part of the humanity he was meant to be, and he went to Frankenstein and was like, I demand you, honestly, to create me a companion. He's like, my companion, yeah, my companion must be the same species and have the same defects. So he yeah. wanted him to, like, her to be, like, the same like him, so she would also be shunned, honestly. And then he was like, and then I'll disappear. I'll never bother you again. I'll yeah. never bother humanity again. Actually, my main question was I had wondered what you thought of like do you think that Frankenstein should have you know done what the monster requested and made him a bride I think yeah honestly so we have hindsight is twenty twenty. we've read the whole book we know what the monster is capable of when he didn't get his way and honestly, I think looking back maybe on his life, Victor may have regretted that decision. Um, I think there's pros and cons to both because, like, Victor has seen how his creature turned into a monster and totally destroyed his life. And it, I can see where he would be like, do I really want to create another one? Like, will the mm -hmm. monster really stick to his word? Will he actually disappear? Will he not bother other people? But at the same time, it's like if you have created this thing and then you abandon it, it's like, and you have a way to give it joy, you could create the monster. So I, my answer is I don't know. <laughs> so you have to choose. You have to choose. Susie. I'm pretty sure my answer is still yes. And that's assuming that he can't go back and just not do the whole thing. Um, because, and I think it's also because we have read the whole book and we see the monster side of the story too. And we know that he's pretty true to her, his word. Like he yeah. does what he says he'll do and he doesn't try to hurt people <laughs> until, until later. But, mm -hmm. so I think that if Victor did create the Bride of Frankenstein, that he would have gone off on his own and just like hidden away. And I think that that probably would have been the best outcome for the story. But I don't it's know. Tricky. See, this is this is what I wrestle with is like if because he was having a lot of moral dilemma when he was trying to make the Bride of Frankenstein, and he was like very appalled about what he mm -hmm. was doing. He's like, I can't, I can't do this. Yeah. Whereas the first time he was just so immersed in his work, like it didn't bother him. It yeah. didn't phase him. But then it's like with the second one, his morality caught up with him. And he was like, I can't do this. This is like morally wrong. This could be cause so much trouble for like generations to come if things were to go wrong. And to me, that's like a hard dilemma yeah. because it's, I don't know. It's like an interesting. I mean, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be killing anybody by creating the bride. So I think that. Well, but remember like what he said, like, what if she doesn't even like him? What if she's more 
what if she is not as reasonable as he is? What if she does want to kill well, people? Then you it's just, just like, yeah. we don't yeah, but know. Franken, like, the monster promised that everything would be fine if he created this <coughs> wife. So I don't think he has to worry about who the wife ends up being, but he needs to trust. Yeah. But that's what he was mm-hmm. thinking, yeah. though, is, like, can I trust this monster? And that's, like, the thing I think is interesting about this whole debate with Frankenstein is that he's not sure what's going to happen, and he makes a gut reaction based on, like, his fear and his, like, own moral judgment, which is, like, I don't know. It's just really interesting. I, I was really wrestling with that last night, and I didn't know. I do think that, like, that's why I was curious what you destroying guys destroying the body was the wrong thing to do, though. Yeah. So. I think if I was in the same situation, I would end up doing what Victor did and not creating it because mm-hmm. of just this uncertainty of everything. The uncertainty it's going to work, the uncertainty that this monster he's creating will go with, yeah, like what Shannon said, will go with the other creature he created. I don't know. Well, it's, it's just, like, a hard thing to ask is, like, would you go against your morality? Well, he did it the like, first time. You know? Yeah. Because he didn't someone, feel it the I know, first but he, time. Didn't, he didn't, that's the thing is, like, he felt regret afterwards. So it's, like, would you do it again? Like, would you kill, if you, well, it's, like, if you were told to kill someone once and you did it and then you felt horrible about it afterwards and were asked to do the same thing but again. But he's not and then have nothing anybody. else happen. But you, but you know what I mean? It's something that he felt, like, very morally, like, horrible about, like, to the point where he... He was, like, getting sick, and he, like, was almost but insane. He's still, like, it was he, really okay, troubling Okay, but him. then the question of what is his responsibility to his creation? That is the question. And so it's, like, interesting. And I'm not saying that I – I guess I don't really – so I guess with my answer, I think the easiest solution was, yeah, just make the bride of Frankenstein, let them go on their yeah. way. But that's why I'm just asking, because I think it's such an interesting yeah. question. That's, like, there's not really a good, like, black and white answer. The good answer is, is that he never know? created the monsters. Yeah. To begin with. In the, in the first place, yeah. <laughs> do you, yeah, do you think the monster had any kind of regret for, like, destroying Frankenstein's life? Because when, cause Frankenstein, like, went insane, like, was trying to flee him. And then Frankenstein, like, Victor Frankenstein ended up dying, and all the monster's hope was gone. So I think the monster's regret was that Frankenstein ended up dying. I think that if he had gone on living, then the monster would have felt fulfilled that he was still... Um, like, in contact with his creator and still interacting with him, even though it was, like, this back and forth of them trying to injure each other. But I think that that's what he craved the most, besides getting his wife, was that his creator would show him some attention and some, Mm -hmm. like, acknowledgement that there is some responsibility that he should be showing him. Um, That actually kind of brings me to my theme. (laughs) Um, so my theme was, I don't know, it's not really a theme, but it's just man's fall because this story kind of not really mirrors, but kind of distorts that biblical story. So it takes a lot of biblical imagery and just like turns it on its head. And it's actually very significant that Paradise Lost was one of the books that Frankenstein had to read in Mm -hmm. the hut. So... There's a quote that really compares him to the character of Satan in um, in Paradise Lost. Let me find let me find the quote. So it says, "I had cast off all feelings, subdued all anguish, to riot in the ex- in the excess of my despair. Evil thenceforth became my good. 
Urged thus far, I had no choice but to adapt my nature to an element which I had, which I had willingly chosen. The completion of my demoniacal design became an insatiable passion, and now it has ended. There is my last victim. So there's this, like, fall, I guess. And we had talked about this with the girl that he had saved from drowning, about how he just chose to be bad. And that's kind of, it kind of reflects Satan's mm-hmm. fall from heaven. So I thought that was super interesting. And there is a lot of biblical yeah. imagery in this book, too, with the whole, like, creator-creation relationship that we see yeah it's interesting how you can see it lining like the biblical imagery in frankenstein and then kind of how it's like twisted and like perverse because the creator is not like a perfect god it's a fallen human being and Mm -hmm. the creation is Mm -hmm. a monster (laughs) it's just an interesting thought about how yeah like if you were frankenstein's monster and like you how people are treated even in today's world is seen as like monstrosity or horrible like as I think people in some cases Mm -hmm. like that does still happen in the world and it's just it's like Frankenstein's monster chose to be evil but like we know that like people can choose to not they can choose to yeah like Sheenan wants them to like overcome okay well I have another theme that I also Mm kind of like got at the end near the end of the uh, book was the don't judge a book by its cover kind of thing. That's kind of what I was picking up with, like, the whole Frankenstein was mm-hmm. disgusting, but, you know, the blind man who couldn't see him, like, felt like he was okay and he was talking to a normal person, and it wasn't until his family came and, you know, saw him as who he was that they were, you know, appalled and threw him out and beat him with a stick and all that kind of stuff. So I just kept seeing this over and over again about not judging like a book by its cover but trying to hear them out first um before jumping to conclusion that was one moment where i felt that was one moment where i felt like true pity for the monster because he had become so attached to this Mm -hmm. family and he's like you know this is it like the blind man is alone I can go and talk to him. I can try to establish a, a relationship. Mm-hmm. And because, yeah, because what he craves seemingly as a theme throughout the whole book is just like love and companionship. And he's like, this can be my solution. And then for it to go so horribly wrong and then to kind of hate him immediately so much based off of what he looked like must have been crushing. And it was crushing for Frankenstein's yeah. monster. And you read, you read that whole thing knowing that it's not going to be good when he goes and makes contact with them. Like, you know the outcome is not going to be pretty. But you still have some hope that people will so, be understanding and um, choose to accept him. So, I feel like she kind of already told us in the beginning of this book that things were not going to work out for the monster. So you could go along your jolly well thinking of, oh, well, the he's going to get a mate <laughs> and then he's just going to go be on his way. Well, in reality, we read at the beginning of the book that there was like this thing that you know was fleeing and then you see like Victor Frankenstein on the ice and like they pick him up in the boat Walton does or whatever and so you're like oh was that Frank Frankenstein's monster in the beginning that like they were talking about and it becomes clear that it was and so you're like okay well something's gonna happen to where Franken or like Vi- Frankenstein's obviously chasing the monster yeah so obviously the monster's not gonna get his happy ending so she kind of I feel like she already like kind of cued us in on that in the beginning 
And that was, like, interesting for her to do. Yeah. So. Well, I noticed um, is that in, like, the preface of my edition, they talked about how she wanted to start her book with it was a uh, dark and stormy night in November. And I noticed that, I find it, it took, like, a while. Like, oh, it took 34 pages. To get to, get to, to that, that original, it was dark, yeah. and so it was like it's like it was on a dreary night of November that I beheld the accomplishment of my toils, which really is like could sound like the beginning of yeah. a horror story. Um, and I also read into it that it's yeah, like it was a shorter story, and then her husband, um, I think her name is Percy Shelley, um, mm-hmm. was like you should expand upon it. So I think the whole Walton character was like she added. So the letters she added on both ends. And, yeah, she, like, made it into a more, like, novel. Because, yeah, she did give us that huge foreshadowing of having the monster and Frankenstein come upon the boat in the Arctic. Mm -hmm. So you're like, how did this happen Mm -hmm. throughout the whole book? So you guys both mentioned quotes that you liked. And I have found a quote that, I mean, there wasn't, like, really necessarily a quote that really stood out to me. It was more of just, like, the overall themes of the book that kind of stood out to me. But speaking of editions, on my edition of the book, there is a quote on the back that I think is really interesting. I mean, because it's interesting how uh, publishers or whatever choose choose certain quotes to put on the back of books or, you know, display it on books. Because, obviously, those quotes are meaningful in some sense, um, or else they wouldn't be there. So... This one said, you are my creator, but I am your master, obey. And that was, like, such an interesting Mm. moment in the book, I remember, because it's kind of, I mean, it was really true, because even though, like, Frankenstein had choice and whatever and, like, decided not to do what the monster asked, I mean, in reality, he kind of was the servant of Mm -hmm. the monster because his whole life was driven to ruin based on, like, what the monster desired so it was I mean he ended up dying because of all the stress Mm -hmm. that he went through to try to kill this monster in the end yeah so in reality like he was the servant of the monster in a way I don't know that like that just I feel like that quote really sums Mm -hmm. up pretty much like a lot of the book about that that struggle at the very beginning of that paragraph the monster calls Victor Frankenstein his slave he's like slave and then it gets into that quote later on. Mm-hmm. So he really viewed it as that. What edition did you read? <laughs> um, well, I read the Barnes & Noble edition. This will probably be <laughs> the last Barnes & Noble edition I will be reading for five months, unless we choose a book that I already own, because I made a promise to my husband that if I bought something that I wanted that's a lot of money, then I wouldn't buy any more books for five months. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, this one is the Barnes Noble 2015 edition. And it's the, edition. like the collectible one with the leather bound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's the non-hardback. It's like a soft leather back, but it, it looks cool and it has like a it's little pretty. red castle on the front and lightning, which I think the funny thing is the castle. Cause I'm like, where does this castle come into play? I don't think they like live in a castle, but whatever. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. So I also read a... Barnes and Noble edition, but I'm pretty sure this one is not in print anymore. It's a library book, so I got this from the library. Um, but it was printed in 2003, and it's a Barnes and Noble hardcover. And when I rented it from the library, 
I did not realize what was on the cover or I would not have gotten it because it's this it's this arm that has muscles that are just peeling off of it and that is oh. it's very gross. I thought it was a flower, but it is not. Oh, that's gross. Once again, with those things where if, like, the things described in the book were actually visualized, you're like, this is terrifying. I read the Dover Thrift Edition, which was published in, first published in 1994, off of the 1831 Mm -hmm. text, which is, like, I think there's two versions out. Yeah, I can't remember quite. The 1881 based off this one. Um. Yeah, but this book was physically published in 2016, like printed. <laughs> so lots of dates there for you. And my my cover is Victor Frankenstein um, on top of a rock, like looking over a valley, like the mountains. Thinking deep thoughts. Yeah. Let's talk about misconceptions, because I know we all had a lot of those just for fun before we move on. So. Yes. I knew, I know, I know this is news to Shannon, but I knew that Frankenstein was not the name of the monster because I had friends who read it and were very picky about that piece of information. But I was not expecting him to be so eloquent in talking so much, which I know we've talked about a little bit, but that was, I think, the biggest thing that surprised me about the monster in this book. And I think the monster being eloquent is far more terrifying than the monster the culture represents of him just grunting. Because I was thinking a little bit, yeah, a couple days ago about why Frankenstein's monster is so misrepresented. Like, is it that a lot of people don't read it who are making these images and they just are going off of tales? Like, why are they doing this? Because I'm like, if you really wanted to go to Mary Shelley's goal of this book was just to like incite fear into her readers an eloquent monster is very different Mm -hmm. than a grunting one but yeah i knew uh frankenstein's monster was not just frankenstein too i think that was just because of a tv show that mentioned that that they're like oh no frankenstein uh is the name of the creator not the creature i am not sure if he's green i really doubt it (laughs) <laughs> based off of the decaying flesh. Um, maybe when it's reanimated, it turns green. Maybe, yeah. I just think that the monster itself is extremely misrepresented. Oh, yeah. Today. People I think it, I think from a, a literary retelling standpoint, it is hard that Victor never named his yeah. monster. It's he, he calls it the creature, the demon, mm-hmm. the monster. It's never a name. Which, like, in our we need cinematography <laughs> time, we need a name. What we have we to call, call it a name. <laughs> so I can see why people latched on to Frankenstein. Because Frankenstein's monster, Frankenstein's creature is yeah. kind of like a mouthful. But it's kind of a lesson in going to the source mm-hmm. for yourself. Yeah. About don't just take don't just accept fact things. for fact. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And really, like, if someone's talking about Dante's Inferno, go read Dante's Inferno. Like, yeah. or, like, those kind of yeah. things. Like, go read the books. And it's just one of those things about how, like, the idea of being cultured has been around for hundreds, if not, you know, like, over a thousand years. I think that's a part of being, like, cultured. Yeah. Yeah. Is that you know things because you go to the source. Yeah. I'm just salty because now I'm like, what else have I been deceived about? Is Dracula not actually Dracula? I mean, come on. What right? Is this? So, oh, and I think with the horror movies books too, it's easy to miss 
to get things wrong because so oftentimes it is like a retelling mm-hmm. like it's retold from person yeah. to person I think the other thing that surprised me now that I'm thinking about it I was expecting some kind of scene with like mobs with pitchforks like going yeah. up to Dr. Frankenstein yes. and be like and the where's castle. the monster yeah where's the castle <laughs> yeah where's the mad <laughs> castle laboratory he created in what it's just in an apartment this is like the second time yeah this is the second time where I've read a book in this book club where the cover is deceiving you're just buying the wrong editions yeah this cover is pretty accurate First Wind in the Willows, now Frankenstein. Like, what is the castle? There is no castle in this book. I don't... That also kind of is an interesting uh, narrative on how when the culture totally misrepresents the idea, how they actually are leaning into know. it. I'm sure they, they know. They put the castle on the yep. cover because they know it's recognized. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so uh, now you know, folks. Mm-hmm. We've just debunk- debunked those cultural myths. Read things. things. <laughs> don't, be de- don't be deceived like me. Read. <laughs> so what ratings did you guys give Frankenstein? So I'll go first, since my rating has swayed some other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I gave it three stars. And three stars, when I give when I give three stars, it's not a bad rating. Like, it's still a good book. And I would still recommend it. And I would still like read it like I'm very glad I read this book but I think wait can you just take a minute to (sighs) tell us your rating scale because I actually think it's a really ingenious way of reading books and I would like (laughs) I would like other people to appreciate this yeah is Annie since you've told me your rating scale I've kind of adopted it for myself okay so my rating scale is one is horrible oh these are stars so one star is horrible Two stars, meh. Like, it has some good things in it. And then three stars is a good book. Four stars is, like, I loved this book. And then I only give five stars to books that, like, affect me as a person. Like, that, I don't know. Like, they're life-changing. Like, they're life-changing. Yeah. So the fact that we've given a lot of our books four stars actually means we love them. But they're just not life-changing. Yeah. (laughs) Shannon, what did you give it? So I felt pressured into giving three stars because I knew that they both gave three stars. Um, Sorry. <laughs> but I think I probably still would have given it three stars with or without knowing that they did. Um, because I think I was leaning towards that to begin with. And my reasoning is because, I, like, you know, we've kind of already alluded to, the story is really well written. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the literature mm-hmm. is great. She did a phenomenal job. I think my problem was, besides just, like, being irritated with the characters, I mean, I liked how many themes were going through it, like, how it made you think. But Mm -hmm. I felt, and maybe it's because I tried to make it last through the whole month, I felt like I couldn't really get into it. Mm. Um, And, like, the first half of the story was just really, like, uh, I mean, it didn't start picking up until halfway through, really, and kind of grab your attention. So I kind of just felt, like, ah. It just didn't really keep me wanting to read it throughout the whole month. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, every single night when I was, like, trying to read a chapter, I'm just like, eh, okay, <laughs> like, not much is happening. It's still not much is happening. Oh, nothing has really happened. So, I don't know, just for me, yeah. I feel like it could have used, and maybe it's just the literature style of that time, I'm mm-hmm. not sure. I, I just felt like it could have been a little quicker paced. And then it would have kept my attention a lot better and, like, made me want to keep reading, which I didn't really get the made me want to keep reading until, like, the 
closer to the end of the book. So mm-hmm. I would still recommend yeah. it, but it's not. Yeah. Like, it's a good book to, like, have under your belt. Yes. For sure. It's, like, literally there's a reason why people a lot of times read it in school. Like, the copy yeah. I have is actually my 17-year-old brother's school copy. I got <laughs> it from school. Yeah. Did you share your rating, Susie? Oh, yeah. Um, I want to give it a 3.25. I really liked, um, I don't think, yeah, it's like, I loved it like a four. I'm really happy I read it. um, And I think it is a good book. And I want to give it the like 0.25 just because I loved the writing style. I loved how, you know, through Mary Shelley, all the creatures were eloquent and I liked how it was very Mm thought-provoking while it wasn't necessarily like a life-changing kind of thought-provoking I liked how it was kind of like just really dived into like psychology and you know social norms and Mm -hmm. it made you think and I like books sometimes that make you think and I'm really happy I read it because I do think that it kind of adds to like my education I hadn't read it before um, it's and a now, very smart book. It is. And now that I have read it, I feel confident that, you know, I can discuss it with people like I just did today with you guys. I could, you know, bring it up and I can connect the dots <laughs> to other cultural things at that time. It makes me understand the time better, I think, um, that like Mary Shelley wrote it in. Um, and yeah, I'm also just really impressed by Mary Shelley, honestly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I really I liked it. more by Mary Shelley. Yeah. So, 3.25. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation about Frankenstein. And let me be Frankenstein with you. You should read this book. As always, our Goodreads accounts, book editions, and drinks will be linked in the show description. So be sure to check that out. Don't forget to subscribe to Reading Minds wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any thoughts, concerns, or questions, you can reach us at either our email address, readingmindspodcast at gmail.com, or on Instagram at reading underscore minds underscore. Next month, we'll be discussing the Prosata by Snorri Sturluson, our earliest collection of Norse mythology. So until then, enjoy this outtake. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I was uh, pretty upset about that, actually, um, because I feel that I have been culturally deceived <laughs> my entire life. I feel very frustrated about that because... I even, I was reading this book, and I sat and I said to my husband, I was like, wait, Frankenstein's the creator? And he said, yeah. And I was like, what? Yeah, because, I mean, my entire life, the images have always been put forth have been of this green monster with bolts coming out of his head. Mm-hmm. It's like, bleh, I'm alive, bleh. And, like, he is called Frankenstein. When you say, like, this kid, you know, is dressed up in a green costume, like, with the bolts, oh, he's it's Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. It's never, ever been told to me that it's Frankenstein's monster. 